around. And so uh, it's good to be here. Um, I, I was reminded of so many um, memories the moment we got off the plane in Garden City, the, the door of the plane opened and the wind must have, be, must have been blowing the right way and whatever car, cow facility that was closest, man, we caught a whiff of it instantly. So it's good to be back where the money is. Amen, that's what I hear, that's what I hear. So, all right, why don't you find, I want you to find a couple places here this morning. I want you to find Ephesians chapter number three. And then I also want you to find Colossians chapter number three. Um, and uh, what I want to do this morning, really, uh, this, would be, uh, I, this would be a preventative maintenance thing. I'm just going to give you a simple truth uh, this morning that will be very advantageous for you to live out if you want your church to be healthy and you want your church to be someplace you enjoy coming. Uh, there are people that go to church that don't enjoy the church that they go to. Did you know that? And, uh, and I, I, I don't want to be a part of a church like that. And so the truth that we'll look at this morning is something that will help you enjoy not only your own life, but help you enjoy the church that God has brought you to. Before we jump into that, let me just say this. Those that uh, support missions and are invested in, in giving to the ministry of God, whether it's here at this church or uh, even beyond that, and give to missions on a regular basis. Um, <clears throat> I remember, I don't know if uh, any of you know of Pastor Terry Randolph. He is one of the more seasoned pastors in the Phoenix Metroplex area, Cornerstone Baptist Church. I think he uh, just stepped outside the pastorate after 36 years of ministry, uh, starting that church there in Phoenix. Um, he, he had a, a very vital role in helping us settle in there in Scottsdale and planning our strategy as we started Northway Baptist Church. And um, one of the things that he said to me, uh, and, I, and in fact, Pastor was there uh, before we started. He was driving us around and he said, uh, you, you know, Brother John, there have been probably about three or four attempts to plant independent Baptist Church in Scottsdale and for those that may not be familiar, Scottsdale is a suburb city of Phoenix, 240,000 people. 240,000 people for a suburb city. That's pretty, a pretty large number. And, um, and at that time, there were two Baptist churches of any kind. You take all the Baptist churches, there were two Baptist churches of any kind in 240,000 uh, population. Isn't that amazing? I think there's more Baptist churches here in Liberal. Right? And, uh, and so he said, you know, there's been about three or four attempts to plant uh, an independent Baptist church, and, and they have all fizzled out. They failed. Um, that, that was a little bit scary, you know, knowing, well, good night, am I setting myself up for failure? Uh, shortly, uh, I think it was about two years into the process, uh, we, got, uh, we had to move from one facility that we were holding services from because they were going to raise the rent by $2,000. And, uh, and so we found this non-denominational church called One Church. The pastor was called Pastor Rowdy. Uh, isn't that a pretty awesome name for a pastor? And um, anyway, he, he and his church were a huge blessing, charged us very little for rent to use their facility. But what he told me is, that Scottsdale is a pastor and church killer. 
that people will go to Scottsdale thinking because there's a lot of money that they're going to start a church, they're going to be able to, uh, uh, you know, do well financially. And, uh, and he was speaking of all types of churches. And so here's why I'm telling you this. Um, we, we wouldn't be still kicking after six years of ministry without you, honestly. Honestly. And uh, what, what you have been a part of by way of giving, by way of prayer, is really seeing God do a miracle. Honest to goodness. It's God doing a miracle. And so I think you deserve a hand. Give yourself a hand. Absolutely. And so it's just awesome to see what God is doing. And we have our, um, our um, what do you call it, service in April? Uh, charter service, yeah. Uh, we have our charter service in April. And if you can come out, we would love to have you. All right. Are you in Ephesians 3? I, I fib to you. I need you to be in Ephesians 4. And here's what we're going to look at over the next few moments. What does it mean to have Christ-like love? As it relates to my brothers and sisters in Christ that I worship with, that I serve with, what does that mean? And uh, raise your hand. Now, let's, let's be a little bit active this morning. How many think that you as a believer should have Christ-like love? How many? Raise your hand if you think that. I figured I'd be in good company today. Yep. Sid had his hand way up there. Yeah. Um, and, and the Word of God supports this truth. So look at Ephesians 4 and look in verse 31. Now, notice each word here. Let all bitterness, the word all continues in in application to the words that follow, and wrath, and anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. That's, That's a pretty big statement right there. Let all bitterness... Let, let all wrath and anger, let all malice. You know what malice is? It's a bad attitude that you have towards someone, but you won't tell them about it. You might tell someone else about it, but you're not going to tell them. That's malice. And God says, if you're a believer, all of that should be put away. And, and so what that means is that I have no reason to hold on to any frustration towards another person, zero. I have no reason to have any bitterness, any anger, or any attitude towards any person. Zero. Uh, Go back, look at verse 31 again. Let all. Now that's a bummer. Because sometimes I like holding on to my frustration towards that person, you know? In fact, you might have some residing frustration or attitude or bitterness even towards someone that's here this morning or will be here this morning. And so what God reminds us here is that we have zero reason to hold on to any frustration, any attitude, any bitterness towards anyone. And then he tells us why in the next verse. Look at verse 32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. All right, so why are we supposed to have uh, this approach towards others? What, what, what is the reason for me not having any reason to have zero bitterness or anger or frustration or attitude towards anyone, no matter who they are? Well, that's because that's what Christ did to you. Do you know how frustrating you are? You probably don't recognize how frustrating you are. Uh, but someone else may recognize that, right? And I, I'm saying the same thing about uh, myself as well. 
And, and yet Christ, every day he's willing to minister grace and, and, and strengthen you and, and to be good to you every day, even with all your rough edges. Aren't you thankful for that? All right, and then uh, look at chapter 5, move on to the next verse, verse number 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Just uh, the same truth that we just read about the reason I'm supposed to uh, be able to interact with others and hold zero bitterness or frustration or anger is because that's exactly what Christ has done to me in my life. So, so get this. this. These verses teach us that you are to love and accept other believers just the way they are. I'm, I'm not sure you heard that, and so let me say that again. You are to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially in this church, you are to love them just the way they are. Hold on, I'm not done. Being willing to put up with them no matter how many times they have been unpleasant to you, frustrating to you, or offensive to you. You are to be kind, gentle, gracious to every person just the way they are. No strings attached. No strings attached. Having Christ-like love towards others means that you have zero expectation for someone to treat you a specific way in order for you to display the love of Christ to them, the gentleness of Christ, the kindness of Christ. That, that you are to have zero expectation for them to treat you any certain way in order for you to be free of any attitude or anger or frustration towards them. I'm just saying, whoa, buddy, that's a high bar to set, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we do this because this is what Christ has done for us. Now, I've taught this to our church, and again, I taught this. I'm always teaching on the nature of relationships and what God expects of us because... Uh, man, really, in order for the Spirit of God to be rich and present at, at uh, Northway Baptist Church or here at Fellowship Baptist Church, there has to be a love among God's people. Because, it, listen, if there's no love among God's people, then there's no love for God. Right? That's what the Apostle John taught so often. And you want to welcome the rich presence of God, then you need to welcome one another in love and kindness and gentleness. And you need to be willing to accept your brothers and sisters in Christ, zero strings attached, without any expectation for them to treat you a certain way, even though they habitually frustrate you, and you have to let it go. Amen. Yo, that's good stuff. Yo. As you know... Um, to be able to do this is not natural for you, right? I wouldn't be surprised today if someone engages you and brings up that subject again or, or says that thing again that, that has been just kind of grinding at you. I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least one person here at Fellowship Baptist Church that has at least one person that comes and and what they say or their attitude or what they bring up is going to frustrate you in some way. And what I'm just uh, letting us know that you're already aware of is you're going to go home and your natural disposition is to chew on that and be able to, at least in your mind, tell them what you think about what they said. 
or didn't say or did or didn't do and how they, sh how they should correct it. Is anyone listening to what I'm saying this morning? Right? Am I the only one that feels that way? I'm the pastor, and I'll go home from church and feel that way. Good night. Yeah, and so it's not natural. And get this, the only way this happens is by a deliberate choice to put on Christ. Now, don't lose your place in Ephesians. Go over to Colossians 3. We're going to be back in Ephesians, Colossians 3. And look in verse number 12. Colossians would be a parallel to the book of Ephesians. They bring up the, many of the same subject matter. So Colossians 3, verse 12. What are the first two words of verse number 12? Say it out loud for me. Okay, so get this. I'm going to come down here. See these clothes that I have on? You know what I had to do in order for you to see them? I had to put them on today. Aren't you thankful for that? Yeah. And so putting on clothes is a deliberate action, right? I, I went through my wardrobe, uh, not my closet because I'm in the hotel room, but before I came, I went through my wardrobe and I specifically picked out the suit that I wanted to put on. What I'm saying is, that if you're going to have Christ-like love towards other people and have zero expectation for them to treat you in any specific way in order for you to display love back to them, then you're going to have to make this decision to deliberately put on the love of Christ. Because it won't be natural for you to do that. You have to put on, let me get back up here and let's uh, continue to read. Put on, therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any even as christ forgave you so also do ye and above all these things put on what charity which is the bond of perfectness you know the mark of this church being a great church is not the talent in the singing did you know that can I just say, you know, the mark of this church being a great church is not that you have very gifted preachers. Did, did you know that? Now, this church, right, it's rich. It's, this church is oozing in talent with singing, is it not? It's oozing with talent. It's oozing with talent. It's kind of a bummer. Our kids, you, you know, they, they grew up here for uh, four years, and so... They, they had a pretty high bar set at what to expect for preaching. They heard Pastor, they heard uh, Pastor Tyler, and if I call him Tyler, please forgive me. He's Pastor Tyler, I know that, but I'm still trying to work through that transition in my own uh, mind, uh, right? And so they had this very high bar set as it relates to preaching. And I'm thankful for that. That's a good thing. But, but what I'm trying to convey here is the marked of perfection in this church has nothing to do with the amount of talent in the singing, has nothing to do with the amount of talent in the preaching. All those things are good features. The mark of perfectness in this church is your ability to put on Christ and love one another. Amen. Yeah. I want to be... And look, when, when God sees that going on in a church... His presence comes down. And look, where the presence of God is, people want to be. Yeah, amen, absolutely. All right, so, so 
so this is a real simple truth, I know, and, and you get it. But we need reminders of this, don't we? It may be that there's someone here this morning, and you've been holding on to that one thing that that person has said or not said. I, I wouldn't be surprised. And you're holding on to something. I don't care who it's from. It doesn't matter who it's from. Again, you know what Ephesians said? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, malice be put away. God is saying you have zero excuse to hold on to that. And it may be, before we go into the worship hour, you need to take care of that. All right? So, clearly forbidden by Christ. Now, now hold on. I, I still have some work to do. One side of the ditch of this truth of Christ-like love one side of the ditch is that we think our circumstances are unique and therefore it justifies why I can hold on to a bad attitude towards someone. That, that's one side of the ditch. I, I hear it even as, uh, uh, as a pastor, I'll hear people, well, but let me tell you about my circumstances and why I want to treat this person this certain way. The ditch on this side is that you think your circumstances are unique and no one else has faced circumstances like that. And because of that, it justifies why you can hold on to some frustration towards someone. That's a ditch on this side. That is not of God. Amen. But there's a ditch on this other side over here. And I, I want to tell you about it. And I, I want to spend the next uh, few moments talking about this. Uh, other ditch on the other side of the road. Here's what the ditch is, and I want you to listen to it. I'm, I'm going to read what I have written here. I, that I don't expect myself to change because others are, expect, are, are expected to accept me just the way I am. Let me say that again. Here's the ditch on this side of the road. That I don't expect myself to change knowing that people are commanded by God to accept me just the way I am. Now, we don't say this, get this, we don't say this out loud like I just did. We say it by the, what we don't do, by not changing the things that we know are irritating to people. Do you know that you have things, you know that you have certain mannerisms or ways that are irritating to other people? Who said, oh me, brother Kay? Do a little marriage counseling right here or what? <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and look, this will apply not only to your church, but it'll apply to mar- it applies to, to every area of your life. And so, so listen to this. I'm gonna, I want to make sure that I'm precise in what I say. So let me read right here from my notes. It is true that others should accept you with Christ-like love just the way you are without expectation for you to change one iota in order for them to love you. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't expect yourself to change. The same thing that causes others to accept you just the way you are without expectation to change is the same thing that should cause you to look inside yourself and expect you yourself to change so others don't have to put up with your rough edges. Amen. 
It's the love of Christ that does the same thing. You, do you know that you're supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ? Right, Romans 8, 29, don't turn there. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And so your love for Christ should cause you to have zero expectation. I know I'm being repetitive, but I want to make sure that you get it. Your love for Christ should cause you to have zero expectation for others to treat you in any certain specific kind of way Zero expectation for them in order for you to love them while also producing an expectation of yourself that others should not have to put up with your rough edges. Amen. Now, let me show this to you. Are you in Ephesians still? Look at chapter 4. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him... And have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye, next two words please. Uh, Ephesians 4.22, I didn't tell you the verse. Let's go back and start in verse number 20. I'm glad we're on the same page now, verse number 20. But ye, are you in Ephesians 4.20, say amen. But ye have not so learned Christ. Uh, so look, verse 20, you have to learn this. Look, 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 this kind of mentality. I'm going to hold zero expectation for you to treat me any way that, that I have zero expectation for you to uh, uh, say or not say anything to treat me in a specific way. I, I don't have any expectation for you to treat me a certain way in order for me to love on you. Uh, you have not so learned Christ, all right? Verse 21. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, that ye, next two words please. Put off, this is something I deliberately put off these clothes. That concerning the former conversation of the old man which is a corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. A love for Christ doesn't expect others to just deal with your rough edges. Get, I want to say it again. A love for Christ, when you have a personal love for Christ, it looks inside yourself, identifies the rough edges about your personality, and says this. You should not have to put up with this part of me. And because I love Christ, I'm going to do everything I can to change it. Amen. Yeah. Instead, a love of Christ carries a self-directed expectation to change the areas in my life and in my personality that make it hard for others to put up with me. No matter how long you've been that way, no matter what your heritage is, and that you allow God to change you from the inside out. And that takes work. And that takes effort, doesn't it? What time do you say I need to be done? How many have met my dad before? Yep, that's what I thought. Okay, one. Yep. Brother Puther is back there, coach. Um, my dad's old school, right? Old school. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm still, I still today don't want to tangle with my dad. You know what I'm saying? Now, I can run faster than him, but it's just he's got this intensity about him. And he's just, a, he's just that good old hard-working boy. 
And, um, and so I grew up uh, obviously being influenced by my dad's personality. When things don't go my dad's way, you know what he does? He just turns up the intensity. So if things aren't going his way, he's going to turn up the attitude. He's going to turn up the volume of his voice. He, he, he might get more exaggerated in his mannerisms. His finger might come out. His eyeballs get bigger. You know what I'm saying? They stare at you and, and like, it's scary. So when things didn't go my dad's way, he, he would not approach things in meekness like God commanded us to. I'm not, being, I'm not trying to be hard on my dad. He, here's why I'm telling you this. So as I grew up, guess how I dealt with things when they didn't go my way? Well, the same way. And some of you have experienced that. I know I've been away for over six years. Some of you have experienced that intensity. I, I, I'm not trying to be intense. I'm not trying to make it difficult for you to engage with me. I, it's, just, it's just who I am. And, and, and for me to say, well, this is, this is the way I've always been. Or for me to say, well, that's how I was brought up. Or for me to say, well, I've just always been this way. And so, and so I guess this is, you're just going to have to put up with this. That is not of Christ. And if I love Christ, I'm, you're expect, look, you're expected to put up with me just the way I am. But if I love, because you love Christ, but if I love Christ, I shouldn't expect you to put up with my junk. And so I have to identify that and say, God, would you help me change this? You have a responsibility to put up with me even if I don't change, but I have a responsibility to expect myself not to uh, have you put up with my junk. And this is the ditch on the other side of the road. Ditch on this side of the road is we, we have expectations. Yeah, you have to treat me a certain way. You can't say that to me again in order for me to be kind to you, in order for me to go back to treating you the way I used to treat you. That's a ditch on this side of the road. But the ditch on this side of the road is, uh, is understanding, be, well, be, because people have to love me just the way I am, I shouldn't have to change. Ugh, that's not of Christ. And so I think this would just be good preventative maintenance here this morning for someone. Saying, again, this is just the way I am is really just an excuse to your unwillingness to put on Christ. Saying this is how I've always been is really just an excuse for you not to love Christ enough to change. This is how I was brought up all of my life is really just an excuse that the transforming power of the Holy Ghost isn't strong enough to change you. I don't care how long you've had that bad habit. I don't care how, if you've struggled to say the right thing in the heat of the moment, if that's been that way all your life, I'm telling you, if you'll allow God to get in there, he'll clean that up. He'll help you with that. Amen, he will. I want to show you one more verse. Um, I want you to go to Proverbs. You can lose your place um, in Ephesians and, and Colossians. I want you to go to Proverbs 17, 27. I want to show you one verse that has rocked my world. Proverbs 17, verse 27. I, I preach a whole message on this verse, but um, I, I didn't want to do that for our purposes today. 
But I do want to highlight the, the, the message of this verse. Proverbs 17, verse 27. The Bible says that he that hath, what? Spareth his words. Now, time out. Why does a person spare his words? Now, let, me, let me help you. What produces or motivates a person to not use words when he knows he should, he should probably just be quiet? What is it that produces that? The Bible says a person who has knowledge, what kind of knowledge would that be? Knowledge of God. And so what God is teaching us is learning the ability to be quiet. That'll be important the next time that, that person comes to you and says that thing again. That'll be important for you maybe just to spare your words. What produces that, it, God's, God's saying, what produces that is not someone's natural personality. What produces that is someone's knowledge of God. Knowledge that I'm supposed to be like God. Knowledge that I'm supposed to be like Christ. Can you see that? And, and then notice the last part. I love this last part. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. You know what an excellent spirit is? It's a, it's a spirit that you enjoy being around. You know that person that just, it's just they're so easy to be around. They're funny. They, they seem like they take an interest in you. They, they don't have abrasive words. They just make you feel good when you're with them. The conversation is not always on them. They're not a calm, this is, I look, my wife gave me this term. They're not a calm, conversational narcissist. <laughs> Do you know what that is? That means when you see that person, you're like, oh man, if they engage me, I know I'm going to sit here listening. Be, I'll be listening for the next 5, 10 minutes, probably more like 15, 20 minutes. Five minutes if I'm lucky, if I can find a way to scoot out, Right? Uh, a person uh, that's uh, of this spirit, that, that comes, no, notice what it says in the verse. What does that come from? That comes from understanding. And, and sometimes we have a flawed, uh, a flawed perspective of those kind of people that we think, oh, that's just their personality. Oh, that's just, that's just how they were. Oh, they were just brought up that way. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the reason a person has an excellent spirit is because they have understanding. And the reason they have understanding is because they want to know, God, how can I be more like you? God, how can I be more like your son? And so what they do is they, they have this self-analysis in their life because they love God. And they say, you shouldn't have to put up with the junk that's in my trunk. And so I'm going to change the way I talk. I'm going to change the way I interact with you. I'm not going to dominate the conversation because I want to have an excellent spirit because I love God, and you shouldn't have to put up with my difficult ways. Amen. So, just some good preventive maintenance here. Here's what I think we should do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray uh, here in just a moment. But is there, is there maybe a, a little bit of frustration or resentment or bitterness that maybe you have towards someone that just is kind of lingering under the surface? It's not like it's a big deal to you. I mean, you can still go to bed at night, but, but you can feel it kind of reside up when that person comes and, and engages you again. If that's the case, why don't you make a determination right now to put that off and get it out? And then why don't you also take a moment here right after I pray to ask yourself and ask God, God, what parts of my personality do I need to change?
And if you can't think of anyone, anything, that's not a good sign. You know, you know what that means? Probably your relationship with Christ is, is not where it needs to be. Because when you're in a relationship with Christ, he loves you, but he's always pointing out the things that need to change. And so, as I pray here in just a moment, you also ask God, what is it that I need to change about my personality? Because others shouldn't have to put up with this part of my life. Father, I come to you.